Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to the Marin County Transit District Board of Directors meeting of Monday, January 9th, 2023. I'd like to ask the clerk to the board uh, to please read call roll and tell us how we can participate remotely. Good morning, members of the board. I will now call roll. President Moulton Peters. Here. Director Rice. Here. Director Colbert. Here. Director Lucan. Here. Director Rodoni. Here. Director Sackett. Here. Director Bushy. Here. Director Casisa. Here. Thank you, we have a quorum. I will now give instructions on how to provide public comment. We are accepting public comments over the telephone, through our online form and through email. Our public comment form is available on our website at marintransit.org forward slash meetings. We are also accepting comments at the following email address, info at marintransit.org. Please note all comments received will become part of the meeting's written public record. If you're participating by telephone and wish to provide public comment, please press star nine when the public comment period is opened by the board president. After pressing star nine, please wait until you are notified that you've been unmuted after which you'll be given a specific amount of time to speak by the board president. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll move to our first item on the agenda, which is the oath of office for members. Good morning, President Milton Peters and members of the board. I'm Nancy Whelan, general manager and happy new year to everyone. I will be administering the oath of office and I'd like all board members and our alternate member to please unmute your microphone and raise your right hand and then repeat the oath after me. I state your name. Hey, Hi, Mary Do don't solemnly swear. That I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution of the State of California. And the Constitution of the State of California. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Against all enemies, foreign and domestic. That I will bear true faith and allegiance. And, and I will bear two allegiance to the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of the State of California. To the Constitution of the United States and the Constitution of California. California. That I take this obligation freely. That I take this obligation freely. Without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Without, without any, any mental reservation or purpose the duties upon which I am about to enter. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. We'll move now to the organization of the transit district. Uh, this is our annual uh, transition of duties uh, on the uh, board. And uh, I would now call for nominations. Uh, and President uh, Moulton Peters, I'd like to nominate a slate for 2023 of board president Katie Rice, vice president Brian Colbert, and second vice president Eric Lucan. Very good. We have a nomination. Is there a second? 
Second. Thank you. We have a second. Uh, is there any public comment on this item? I'm going to give everyone a chance listening in to raise their hand in the Zoom meeting. I don't see anyone at this time. Okay. Thank you. We'll close public comment and take a roll call vote, please. Director Moulton Peters? Yes. Director Rice? Yes. Director Colbert? Yes. Director Lucan? Yes. Director Rodoni? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Director Casisa? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. Very good. We have a new president, vice president, and second vice president. Congratulations, everyone. Katie, you're in the driver's seat now. All right. Well, um, thank you, uh, Stephanie. Um, outgoing Chair Moulton Peters, thank you very much for leading the agency this past year. And so I'll say Happy New Year to everyone. Good to see you and a welcome to all of our new directors, um, Director Casiza and Bushy and Sackett and Lucan. And I understand from Nancy that you all had a, um, had a, a I guess, an onboarding of sorts. And um, Nancy, I want to really thank you for doing that. I think that's actually something new um, in my memory. Um, but anyway, thank you very much for doing that. Um, want to say thank you, Nancy, to you for incredible work um, with you, you and your entire team. This agency is just an amazing agency. I think we're all super proud of the work Marin Transit does. Um, and it's and it is um, a product of every single one of your team. So um, go team, we're in transit, you guys are great. We're very proud of you. And you know, I look forward to the year ahead uh, and continuing to um, support this agency as a team, uh, as a board of directors, a team in being in modeling, collaboration, innovation, creativity, and reliability um, as we navigate this changing transit world. So with that, um, I will like we're on item three, and why don't we go to open time for public expression? Is there anybody um, here or online that would like to speak? We received comments on items three, sixty, and nine from a member of the public via the district's online public comment form. The comments have been shared with the board this morning and will be included in the public record of this meeting. Thank you. Okay, and is there anyone else then that anyone here? I will give um, our listeners a chance to raise their hand in the Zoom meeting. I don't see anyone at this time present face. All right, so with that, we'll go on to Board of Directors matters. Um, President and Rice, if I can <clears throat> just interject there on the comments. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, the comment received from the uh, written comments, one was received during the open time. Oh, uh, for open time, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. So, and that was regarding an incident where we had a vehicle, one of our buses in an accident and the commenter just wanted to uh, know what was happening. And, and basically what uh, the, the incident involved a, a bus driver that with the bus that was did not have any passengers in it. So we were very, very fortunate that there was no injury to the passenger, to there were no passengers or no injuries. And the uh, driver had sustained minor injuries, but um, the accident is under investigation. All right, thank you. So with that, we will go on to Board of Directors matters. Any directors, anything anyone wants to share? All right. Oh, I see a hand up. Director Colbert. Yeah, I got something to share. I'm, I'm excited to be here. And I just want to, you know, we're always looking for ways to increase ridership. 
And so I just don't know if anybody missed it. A punk band played on BART last week um, in an attempt to get uh, more ridership and uh, generate revenue. Um, I think the results were mixed. I can see from some of the Marin Transit staff, there's a, a few chuckles. So I guess you're uh, aware of it. So you might want to do some due diligence before you engage in this initiative. And uh, Happy New Year to everyone. All right. Anyone else? All right. And then I'll just share one item on my way in this morning was listening to the forum and they had um, beginning at the nine o'clock hour. Um, they were doing a piece on uh, Bay Area transit and they had uh, Teresa McMillan, the director of MTC on um, as well as another guest. Anyway, it was interesting. And um, as much as I heard, there's a couple a caller actually from San Rafael, but um, the discussion um, was interesting. I think it'd be worth folks uh, taking a listen to while you're cooking dinner tonight, if you have power. Right. So uh, any public comment on board of directors matters? Once again, I'll let everyone have a moment to raise their hand. Nobody at this time. Okay, so we will move on to item five, which is the general manager's report. Great, thank you. Um, and welcome to our incoming board members and returning board members. Uh, we're looking forward to an exciting 2023. There is a lot ahead of us. I'd also like to welcome the new officers and thank, uh, on behalf of our staff in, in particular, to thank uh, Director Moulton Peters for her service as board president and uh, this last year. And, and your leadership has really helped us accomplish so much in 2022. So thank you. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to turn to my slides now. This always takes me a second. So get there. Okay, so just a um, fairly quick report today in terms of what we're doing. And just to start off, we're going to, um, we've actually asked a consultant to help us with a, uh, a modernization, if you will, of our, our logo. And I'm just going to present a couple of slides to you about how we're looking at the, um, the logo and the need to update it. So the goal of our logo redesign was really to comply with ADA requirements to improve the legibility and recognition of it to, to basically simplify it. So what one of the um, challenges that we faced was that the ADA color contrast requirements was not met with that white text where it says Marin against the green background of the mountains there. Uh, additionally, that thin stroke, the, the little circle outside the circle is really difficult to see at small sizes. The color assignment, uh, which is the colors that are present there in the contrast, make the logo difficult to read, uh, particularly when it's over anything else, any other patterns or photographs or that sort of thing. And then the color assignment also doesn't let us use a one color logo variant. So we were looking to correct those things. And with the help of um, the consultant, this is the process that, that they undertook. The first, first step was to just kind of remove the elements, remove the text and, and the outline, and then to simplify it. And wanted to continue with that Mount Tam shape and to create more of a subtle M shape for Marin in it. And then lastly, they added the text back in, retaining the overall lowercase text of Marin Transit. 
and put, putting it outside the logo mark so that it can be more easily read and for better color contrast. And this also helped us with um, being able to go to a one color logo uh, style. And um, so then this is the, the look, the new look um, that we're, we're going for, which again is very similar to what we have, but uh, also achieve some of those goals that we, we wanted with um, making it ADA, uh, ADA compliant, as well as making it more legible. So we will um, go live, uh, if you will, uh, on our website, February 1st. So that's an electronic change of, of the logo. And then we have a logo rollout plan that we'll be presenting to your board in February. And it really does just focus on doing this incrementally, um, just building in some of the, the new logos with the replacement that we would see with our signage, our writer guides, that sort of thing. And of course, when we do this, we want to minimize the cost impacts and the staff time required to, to do this. So we'll present that plan to you at uh, your next meeting. So then turning to ridership, uh, we present to you every month how we're doing. And this slide shows where we are on our ridership pre-COVID, which is uh, for this presentation is October of 2019. So 2019 is the year that we use as our pre-COVID year. And compare, <clears throat> we compare ourselves to all of the other Bay Area transit agencies. And you can see that we are still doing incredibly well with uh, retaining our ridership at about 89% of uh, pre-COVID ridership in, 20, uh, in 2022 as compared to 2019 for October. And then just in terms of the raw numbers and the monthly ridership for, for that month, you can see that we are there between the County Connection this month and Golden Gate Transit. And this is all riders. So um, we are at about 250,000 riders for the month of October. And again, that's really quite, quite good as a small operator that we are just uh, kind of ahead of the middle of the pack. And then in your packet, item 3B shows where we are on our, uh, the way we present our, our monthly ridership to you, at least one of the ways that we do. And uh, this is where we compare our current fixed route ridership. So this is focusing just on our fixed route to our ridership from the prior year. So this is uh, 2022 to 21. And the gray line shows a ridership by month for all of, of last year, the last fiscal year. And the red line shows um, the ridership for the October, and you can see in October, we were at 257 um, there. And um, this is, uh, as we can see, again, pretty strong recovery for our fixed route ridership. And then let me show what we are doing with demand response. Um, we've actually, you can see here, uh, ridership on Marin Access, our demand response services has plateaued at uh, just over half of the pre-COVID levels. It was about 54% in October, uh, compared to October, I should say, of 2019. And it's declined a bit over the last few months and dropped below the 2021 levels. And it's currently about 6% below uh, October, 2021. And so there is a slight uh, upward trend there as well. So we're continuing to monitor this. And of course we report to you monthly on this. Um, before uh, I move on or take questions, uh, President Rice, I'd like to just let you know that 
um, as uh, item seven on your regular calendar today. Uh, we would like to defer that item to your February board meeting. And the item concerns in-person board meetings and we'd like the opportunity to gather some additional information about options for uh, how we can have our public participation in the meetings, including a remote option. Our initial work found the direct costs for the hybrid option would be about $36,000 per year and would require additional staff to be available to manage the meetings. And um, we are continuing to work with the county staff and partner agencies to determine how to best provide access to our public, to our meetings, to, to the public. So we'd like to take another month to do that. So I just want to let you know that as we move into the rest of the meeting. And I'll be happy to take any questions. All right, thank you, Nancy. Uh, questions for the GM on her report, anyone? All right. Um, I have one question, Nancy, and then we'll go to the public. So with regards to item seven, so today um, we're, we're just gonna completely put off the discussion um, because we we wanna wait to have that. You wanna wait to have that till we have all the, till, till you can present all the information that you can gather about cost and et cetera, et cetera. Yes, yes. Okay, all right. And then just a point of order on that, I can't recall. Do we take public comment on seven when we get to it just because it's on the agenda? I can't remember. Does anybody know? We'll see if anybody wants to say yeah, anything. Prob probably should, President Rice. Okay, thank you, Dennis. All right. Um, okay, so any public comment, Holly? Okay, everybody listening in, I'll give you a moment to use the raise hand feature in the Zoom meeting if you want to comment on the general manager's report. No one at this time. All right. So with that, we will move on to the consent calendar. Uh, Nancy, anything you want to call out there? Uh, on, on the consent, we did have a public comment on item 6E. So um, when you get to the public comment phase, actually Robert Betts will, will uh, address that public comment. Okay. All right, uh, directors, any questions, comments on the consent calendar? All right, so let's go to public comment on consent. Is there any uh, members attend, or any, any members of the public online that would like to speak to this? No hands have come up yet, so Nancy. All right, back to you, Nancy and um, Robert. Yeah, I think uh, Robert, you can just take it away here. Sure, good morning, President Rice, Board Directors, Robert Best, Director of Operations Service Development. Uh, the public comment we, re we received was on item 6E. 6E is a recommendation to uh, replace our, actually our first seven hybrid vehicles with seven new hybrid vehicles. The question was specifically related to the decision to replace those 35 foot buses with a combination of 35 and 40 foot uh, buses and, and uh, was asking why that recommendation came forward. Uh, the, the quick response there is um, when we look at replacing equipment, we look first and foremost at fleet consistency. Can we continue to purchase similar vehicles, make and model? Um, to keep our fleet consistent. Secondly, we look at ridership demands. Um, and thirdly, we look at operational restrictions on the routes those vehicles would be assigned. 
these vehicles will be uh, operated by Golden Gate Transit. They'll be operated through some of our highest ridership areas within the canal. So we do both like to keep the Gillick hybrids and we like to have the larger size vehicles. Uh, the, the, the need to keep, a, I guess, three of the seven as 35 foot vehicles is due to some operational restrictions we have on the local roadways, specifically within the Fairfax area. So we do wanna preserve some of the smaller vehicles for operational re reasons, um, but really wanna maximize seats for ridership needs uh, specifically within the canal. All right, thank you very much, Robert. Makes sense. All right, so with that, if there's no other comment, can I have a motion to approve the consent calendar? I'll move consent. Second. Motion, Moulton Peters, second, Lucan. Um, Holly, can we do the roll call, please? Or whoever. I think Kate will take care of that. Yes. President Rice, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert? Yes. Second, Vice President Lucan? Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Yes. Director Rodoni? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. Okay. Thank you very much. We're on to item seven now, and we'll just take comment on this as we're going to defer the fuller discussion and information to our meeting in February. So is there any members of the public that would like to comment on uh, future meetings and the format they are held? Okay, once again, I'll invite our listeners to raise their hand should they wish to comment on this deferred item. No commenters at this time. Okay, now we're on to item eight then. Um, Nancy, I'm going to hand over to you. This is an evaluation of the free fare promotional programs and recommendations. Yes, thank you. Um, Kathleen Sullivan is going to present this item. And while she's pulling up her slides, just to let you know, this is really a follow-up to action that your board took back uh, almost two years ago to authorize us to go forward with a few of the free fair promotions. And this is our evaluation of it. So Kathleen is gonna go through that. Okay. Uh, you can see my screen? Yes. Great. Um, yeah, so as Kathleen Sullivan, Director of Planning, nice to see you all on this rainy Monday morning. Um, this is a follow-up on an item that first originated in a board workshop on ridership and revenue assumptions in March of 2021. So staff was directed to address two key questions. Uh, one was, how do we ensure fares aren't a barrier to access the services we provide? And second, are the current discounted fare programs enough? So over the course of several months, staff did research, explored options for fair programs, and presented to the board several more times, um, ultimately resulting in adoption of three fair promotional pilot programs that were conducted in late 2021 through 2022. So this item is an evaluation of those promotions. The slides, which were included in your packet, are, are effectively are our evaluation report. So I'm not going to review every slide, every word on every slide. Um, some I'll go through pretty quickly, but all the information is there for you to review, and I'm happy to field questions on any, any of the information that was provided in the report. So first, just quick background on the research staff did in 2021. It included peer agency research, evaluating existing care policies, stakeholder engagement through interviews with community-based organizations and human service agencies, as well as a rider's survey. The upshot of the research was a strong preference to focus free fares on those who really need, need free fares the most. Um, 
based on the peer agency research, free fares can have unintended consequences on service quality and rider experience. That's complete, you know, service-wide free fares, that is. Um, and overall, we found that fares are not a barrier for the vast majority of riders. Um, the, the one thing that was a key takeaway is that there is a need to build awareness of the existing fare discounts. So there, this is a summary of our existing fare discounts. Uh, essentially, discounts exist in some form for every category of rider. So the, as I mentioned, the board authorized three promotions. They're listed here, and I'm going to go through each one in turn. But there was uh, free fares for seniors and ADA on fixed group buses, um, free passes for families with low-income students, and free youth during summer of 2022, free youth on transit during summer of 2022. So I'm going to go through the details of each one by one. So first, free fixed group rides for seniors and ADA riders. Um, from October 2021 to March 2022, so last winter, seniors and ADA riders could ride free on all Marin Transit fixed route service. So it didn't include um, demand response and it didn't include the Muirwood shuttle. Um, there were some external factors which we couldn't, didn't foresee in August when these were um, first put forth, which may have influenced the promotion. Overall, there's a general seasonal trend towards lower ridership in the winter, um, but the Omicron surge in particular occurred from December 2021 through about February 2022. Um, so that is a factor that is different, difficult to distinguish the exact results on ridership of the promotion, given that that sort of exogenous factor occurred. This, there's a lot going on in this slide, but I'll, I'll explain to you what's going on. Um, the bar chart shows overall fixed route ridership from July 2021 to June of 2022, so essentially the fiscal year 21-22. The bars in, include um, the gray is just general fixed route ridership, and the yellow is senior and ADA ridership. The green section of the bar is the promotional senior and ADA ridership. So you'll see at the top the general seasonal trend um, downward, and that might have been exacerbated by the Omicron surge. Um, the looking just at the yellow and the green, um, the first thing to note is that some there is some yellow that continued throughout the promotional period. That is essentially some seniors indicated that they wanted to keep paying, that it was their duty to keep paying. So some seniors continue to pay even though they could have ridden transit for free. Um, there wasn't any, any big uptick in ridership, but it does appear that ridership stayed more steady on senior and ADA, which indicates that, you know, despite the Omicron surge and the seasonal dip, um, the, promotional may, the promotion may have sustained senior and ADA riders on transit when the overall, you know, trend was, was a decline during that period. But, but again, it didn't, it didn't show some big increase in ridership during that time. Um, and then finally, calling attention to that black line at the top, this is the share of the overall ridership that's represented by senior and ADA passengers. So it varies, this, this relates to the axis on the right-hand side of the slide. So it varies from about 15% to just over 20% um, over the course of all those months. And we didn't see a, a dramatic, there's a, there's a little uptick, um, but it's a pretty small change from um, November to December of 2021. That was from 19 to 21% of the senior ADA ridership representative, the overall ridership. So it, it sort of supports the explanation that ridership on 
senior and ADA ridership was sustained, um, but then it drops again after the promotion. So there doesn't appear to be a long-term impact that the promotion created. Um, demand response ridership. That was the other thing we looked at is did this impact demand response ridership? You know, did it, it cause a, um, a shift away from demand response ridership? But there was a really big drop due to Omicron on demand response. So it was it was hard to uh, hard to discern whether there was any of that drop was due to this promotion. In terms of costs, um, this required minimal staff time and low costs for promotional materials, but did entail a significant amount of lost fare revenue. Um, as I just showed, you know, about 20%, about a fifth of our ridership is senior and ADA riders. And so we lost all that fare revenue by, by making most of those rides free. Um, so that was really the biggest financial impact was the lost fare revenue from this promotion. In terms of uh, results, there were over 160,000 free rides taken. So pretty, pretty fair amount of rides um, that ended up being free. Again, it didn't appear to have caused a big increase in ridership, although you know, definitive results are difficult to determine. And there was no real operational impact from this. And we got general support from the public. Um, given the costs and the lack of the long, any long-term impact on ridership, staff doesn't recommend repeating this promotion in the future or you know, putting it as a permanent program. We don't believe fares is really the right way to improve service for seniors and ADA riders. Um, the senior and ADA fares are already very low cost. It's only a dollar to ride the bus, and this is, price has not been raised for decades. The monthly pass for senior and ADA riders was also cut in half in July of 2020, just after the onset of the pandemic. So it's only $20 to get free rides, I mean, to get rides all month, as many as you want to take. Um, and low-income seniors can have access to free rides through the LIFA program. So if you are a low-income senior, you can get free rides on the um, Instead, staff is working on continuing to refine and improve marine access programs as the best way to improve service for seniors and ADA riders. And we will be coming back on with more on that later this year. So the next promotion was for families of low-income students. In fall of 2021, um, families participating, basically, so right now, low-income students can get a free Marin Transit pass that's unlimited rides for the entire year on Marin Transit. So all those families that participated in that student pass program could opt in to get three monthly passes when they applied for their annual student pass. About a third of the families um, that participate in the student program opted in to get these three passes. Families from about 19 different Marin County schools participated. And then staff basically mailed out three paper 31-day passes to uh, each of the families that opted in. Those were mailed out in December and of 2021 and January of 2022. Um, and just for background, the way these passes work is that a rider takes the 31-day paper pass, tags it on the bus, whatever the first day they use the pass is, and then it's good for, it activates a 31-day window. So that pass can be used for as many rides as that rider wants to ride within the next 31 days. Um, the passes don't expire. So for the purposes of this report, we analyzed activation of those passes from um, through October. So that was the cutoff, but there are still passes out there that we mailed out that have not yet been activated. So, um, You'll see that here, um, only 390 of the 
of the 800 some passes we sent out have been activated. So less than half of the total that were distributed have been activated. Um, you'll see a lot where, so this chart shows December uh, of last year through October of, sorry, December of 2021 through October of 2022. And um, you'll see a lot of passes were activated right, at, right up front in January, and then it sort of tapered over time. Uh, the, the other thing to know is that about 60% of the families that received passes activated at least one of the passes. We also looked at how many times each pass was used. So we don't have any way of knowing what these riders were doing before they got these passes, but we listed some potential explanations here of the different ways that the passes were used. So the first row, which was just under a third of the passes that were distributed, um, were used pretty pretty infrequently, about one to five times for each pass. These were likely new or infrequent riders that were trying out the service. Another 30%, that next row, used it less than 20 times. So these are likely people who have ridden the bus before, um, but may have been taking advantage of the pass to ride a bit more since they got free rides um, than they did in the past. And then I'm gonna skip to the, the final sort of big, big chunk of, um, share of the pie there, which is the final row, which were sort of power users, people who use the passes over 30 times per pass. So it's very likely that these folks were, were regular riders of Marin Transit before they received this pass. And it's also pretty likely that they were already getting a pass or they should have been if they weren't already buying a pass. Um, so overall, sort of the, the takeaway here is that we do, we do think this did serve to educate riders that the 31 day pass exists and may have uh, generated some new riders, both through people trying out the service and potentially using it more than they would have otherwise. This shows monthly pass sales from July, 2019 through November of 2022. Um, you'll see a couple notable milestones marked in black. The, when the shelter in place went into effect in March of 2022. And then I mentioned we cut uh, monthly pass prices in um, July of 2022. So for general public riders, that was a price cut from $80 to $40. Um, and this was really to reward our regular riders who depend on this to get around as a really regular transportation um, means for them. So you'll see that spurred a big jump that sustained sort of in a gradual increase over time. And you'll, then you'll see in January 2022, that's when we distributed our monthly passes. And it does seem like there was more of an uptick after that. So again, this may have helped. Um, it's hard to direct, have hard to determine direct causality, but this promotion may have helped educate riders and an increase of awareness of that past product, which is which is very low cost if you're a regular rider, um, and accelerate past adoption. As far as costs, this is the only promotion that required any sort of significant staff time. It did take quite a bit of time to get all those 31 day passes in the mail and out to riders. Um, so it was a few weeks of kind of intensive time to mail out those passes. Otherwise, materials and lost fare revenue were, were relatively low. Um, and we'll go into that lost fare revenue on the next slide. So there were just um, about 80, 8,600 free rides taken as of October 31st. Um, again, remember that only less than 50% of these have been activated. So there is a chance these will be, continue to be used over time. But we saw that activations had really tapered by the end of 2022. Um, 
the as far as results, the program likely spurred a small bump in ridership, but the overall numbers were pretty low. If if you recall, you know there are 160,000 rides taken on the senior and ADA promotion compared to this less than 9,000. Uh, that's why it's such a such a lower impact on lost fare revenue. Um, it also definitely had an equity benefit um, through money savings and increased mobility for these low-income families, and overall got got good uh, reception from riders. So in terms of our ta overall takeaways, we are exploring options for doing a similar promotion again. Um, we'd like to uh, actually engage with riders in a more direct way to understand more about how the program was received and used. Um, and we also would like to explore ways we could streamline the amount of staff time would be required. There might be a more efficient way to get passes out to folks. Um, as some of you know, we Clipper 2 is coming, a new sort of iteration of the Clipper uh, card. And we think that this could be a, an opportunity to do another promotion when we get Clipper independence through Clipper 2 in 2024. We could do a promotion um, of the Clipper Start program and potentially give away some free passes to riders who are low income to encourage Clipper adoption. So that's what we're currently thinking. We'll explore options and do some rider engagement during 2023 uh, to inform what we might be able to do in the future. So our, finally, our final promotion was free summer youth fairs. Um, oops, in summer 2022, youth could ride Marin Transit Services for free. This was from mid-June to mid-August. Um, youth ridership is always lower in the summer. So uh, as with some of the other promo promos, it was difficult to understand the precise impact given uh, other factors, also just overall ongoing recovery from COVID. This is the same chart you saw on the seniors and ADA slide. So the bars represent overall fixed route ridership. So um, the gray is, a gen is basically everyone not youth and the yellow and green is youth ridership. Um, the, um, and then the black line is percentage of total ridership like we showed on the senior slide. So um, because this started mid-month and ended mid-month, some of the yellow bar that continued through the promotional period is likely um, youth who are using a past product for the other half of the month that the promo didn't apply to. And then as with the senior um, promotion, some youth continued to pay in July of 2022, even though they technically could ride for free. Um, because youth ridership is dramatically lower in the summer, it is, again, a little hard to distinct, you know, to differentiate what what kind of impact this had on ridership. So one other thing we looked at was um, the, the percentage of youth who ride during the summer um, year over year. So this shows summer 2018 all the way up to summer 2022. Um, so between 2021 and 2022, the share of overall ridership that's represented by youth only went up from 18 to 19%. So that's not a dramatic uptick um, you know, com compared to overall ridership recovery between 2020, 2021, and 2022 on fixed route, on general public fixed route, um, the youth climb does not appear to be dramatically impacted by this promotion. <clears throat> While we're talking about youth rides, we wanted to just show um, to, for a little bit of background information um, how, how youth riders are paying 
to understand who is really benefiting from this promotion. So about the right-hand side of this pie is riders who are using a youth pass. So this is an annual youth pass product. Um, of this, 95% of these are distributed for free through that low-income program I mentioned. So very few people are purchasing an annual pass. Um, and that also means all low-income youth already have access to free rides all year long, including during the summer. So if the goal of this overall was to reduce the financial burden on low-income families, we're basically already doing this. And the other half of the pie is youth paying cash or using a slipper card for a single ride. And the youth fare is very inexpensive. It's only a dollar. So kind of similar to the senior and ADA promotion, we don't think cost is the real barrier to youth riding transit. In terms of um, costs, the cost of this promotion was relatively low. It didn't require a lot of staff time or entail a lot of lost fare revenue. Again, because a lot of those youth are already who are riding are riding for free already. Um, just over 40,000 free rides were taken. Again, some of those might have been free even without this promotion because of those pass, those passes. Um, we don't think this caused any big change in youth ridership, um, and but did receive overall positive feedback. So although this program did not have I just didn't have a big ridership impact. It didn't, it also didn't have a big significant or a significant operational or cost impact. So we actually do believe this could be repeated. Um, this was done during the summer because we have service capacity during the summer. We don't have the capacity on our on our school serving routes during the school year to really spur a whole bunch of new ridership. Um, but during the summer, we really do have some service capacity. And so we think this is, might be worth offering again because it's popular. Um, we can promote it in combination with parks agencies to get youth out and about during the summer months. Um, it's also something other agencies in the, in the North Bay are considering. And so we have an opportunity to coordinate on promoting youth rides with SMART or some of the Sonoma County agencies. And I think it, it could have bigger impact if we can promote it as transit as a whole, you know, throughout Marin and Sonoma County during, during the summer. So overall um, sort of summary findings is that we do believe these overall had a larger equity impact than ridership impact. Um, ridership has been, growth has been ongoing as Nancy showed um, since COVID, you know, since COVID recovery began. And so it makes it hard to isolate the precise impact of these specific promotions. And then, um, you know, just to keep in mind that um, there are already several passes that are that are low in low cost for a lot of these riders. So in terms of next steps, we are asking the board to approve these next steps. The primary one is approving staff to offer free rides again to youth during summer of 2023. Um, we anticipate this having a fiscal impact of about 20 to 30,000 in lost revenue. If approved, uh, that fair revenue would be rep would be reflected in the upcoming 2023-2024 annual budget. So fair revenue would be adjusted down accordingly. For all the other actions, we will come to you with more information on all of these. Um, we are working on a contract to do a comprehensive evaluation of fair collection in anticipation of Flipper 2, and you will approve that contract before it goes into effect. Um, the rest of the actions listed here are basically exploratory how to best educate and raise awareness of existing discounted fare programs, um, including ways to partner with community-based organizations and human service agencies. 
the best options for a low income fair promotion um, that require less staff time and that um, it takes into account some wider input and then how to refine and improve marine access um, offerings for seniors and ADA riders. So anything additional that comes out of some of these exploratory next steps, staff would come back to the board with specific action. So with that, um, all right, Kathleen, that's a great report. Um, really excellent. Uh, so questions, uh, Director Sackett. Thank you, Kathleen. I appreciate the report very much. I would just express support for the program for the families of um, low-income students. I think the advantages there are you have a new group of students every year, um, whereas other populations, you may be trying to get the same um, people, but you've got new freshmen or whatever every year. Um, I guess I would, you know, in your analysis of that program, I'd be curious about the paper part of it and if there's a way to do a follow-up. Just knowing, like, I get three pieces of paper in the mail in December, they get buried. Is there a way to send out an email saying, hey, we noticed you haven't received this or, or you haven't used it, just want to encourage you to do so, some kind of follow-up? Um, or is there another alternative to that piece of paper? I understand there's a significant staff time. So if there's a way to streamline that at all, but, it, but to me that of the three programs seems like it you know, hits a lot of the boxes that we wanna check as far as one equity um, and two encouraging the, you know, that, that type of writer who, aren't, who may not be taking advantage of it yet. But thank you very much. I appreciate the deep dive. Director Lucan. Uh, yeah, I, thank you, Kathleen. Thanks for the report. A couple questions on the youth pass and the youth promo. Uh, when we did that during the summer, um, how are we verifying or how do the operators verify the age of the students and are we tracking them with a tag on tag off system or are we tracking it some other way? Yeah, so it was just by age, so students could show a student ID or a or just an ID, some sort of verification of age um, was how they boarded. And there isn't a tag on tag off, so we don't necessarily know if, if you're getting it to the origins and destinations. So how how did we track the ridership during during the summer months? Um, so there, there's basically the the um, operator can has a button that he that he or she punches for a youth rider. And so we just use that button to track all, um, all youth that we're boarding with. Okay. Um, and, and going back, to, I think, to one of the comments I made at a, at a previous <clears throat> board meeting around the youth pass, I, I question when, when do we reach that tipping point of just more of a general, you know, youth, youth ride for free? Because uh, when I look at it, 95% of our youth passes are free. Um, we're doing free fares in the summer for all youth. Uh, all the other, the paid fares for youth are at 50%. And I look at all the time that goes into managing these different programs and tracking passes and validating them. I, I don't know the full staff costs of that, but I, I, I'm curious, as, as we do more and more, are we reaching a tipping point where it, it does make sense just to simplify to come out with a unified message instead of having you know promo here and package here and discount here um general general thoughts on that 
Yeah, I was just trying to look up the um, maybe Osher. If you're online, you can you can help me come up with the um, cost. But we do collect significant fair revenue from that half of the pie that is paying. So although 95% of the passes that are distributed are um, are given away for free, the other half of that pie, which is you know a significant number of rides, are paying that one dollar, and it's it's not insignificant fair revenue. Um, the other thing about free use, this has been tried, I think, by Marin Transit at some point in the past and then by other agencies, is that they it can have some significant impacts on service capacity. Um, so students who might walk the last few blocks to school, um, if they're walking to school, hop on the bus because they can get on for free and it can cause some overcrowding issues that impact both student riders who are relying on the bus for longer distances, as well as general public riders. Um, and I can, I'll try and pull up the number, the figure of how much fare revenue we collect, but it would entail a significant drop in fare revenue. Yeah, I'd, I'd be curious to know exactly what that dollar amount is. I, um, <clears throat> I, I agree that the, the fare is not really the deterrent in, in people riding, it's, but it's, it's the clipper card or having the cash on hand or having an easy way for a, a youth to pay. That's more the barrier barrier to entry for I, for I know a lot of youth. Um, that's why I'm curious about, you know, how, how can we simplify this? It's, it's great that we keep adding more, more promos, more discounts, but yeah, at some point there's probably that tipping point where all of the costs that it takes to administer this um, might be more than, than if we were to just uh, come up with a kind of more across the board approach. So I, I appreciate that. I'd be curious to, uh, get those numbers. Thank you. Uh, Director Moulton-Peters. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and thank you also, uh, Kevin, for the report. Very well done. You know, for me, this um, report, again, confirms some trends we've seen before, which is that we generally serve transit-dependent riders who need our service. And to the extent that we can grow the service to those riders, uh, that seems to be where it's worth putting our attention. I think Director Lucan made some very good points about simplifying. And again, I think taken together with what we know about who our riders are, uh, that we could find ways to simplify uh, and direct our messaging and our efforts to these riders. Uh, I, I think two things, uh, our, our senior access and uh, paratransit are our most expensive uh, transit options. And so I do think the fare box recovery such as it is, is an important contribution. And then finally, just a question uh, to really the entire staff, but uh, Director Lucan raised a comment about tagging on and tagging off. And I know that we don't have that capability on our buses at this point, but it would allow us if we had that capability to understand more about our ridership behavior. And so with the acquisition of new buses, I, I don't think it's the new buses that allow us to do this. It's the equipment we put on the buses for Fairbox, but is, is there any way to consider uh, equipment that would help us understand our ridership behavior uh, in more detail than we currently have right now? So, th so that's a question. Thank you. Yeah, Kathleen, you can chime in here, but I was just going to say that, um, in fact, the fair analysis that Kathleen is proposing to, to do in the upcoming months here 
in preparation for Clipper 2.0, I think is going to shed a lot of light on a number of the questions that the board has raised. So um, we'll definitely take all of these into consideration, but you're absolutely right. Equipment is an important part of it. We are looking at changes in the equipment coming up here with Clipper 2.0. It is going to give us a lot of uh, new capabilities. And so I think the question for us and for the work that we're doing in the FAIR study is really what how can we best make that clipper card, if that's the direction we want to go, which it is, I think, at this point, that how do we make that more available broadly to all of our riders, to all of the public? So that's that'll be a key element of what we're going to be looking at. Director Colbert. Yeah, I don't necessarily have questions, just some tag-along thoughts from my fellow. Uh, director, should I, should I wait till after public comment? Uh, go ahead. I think we're having a mixed bag here, so go ahead. Okay, thank thank you. So, uh, you know, really, uh, thanks for the report. And, and I, I think what these reports do is really sort of allow the board, through the use of staff, to really sort of understand the, the data points as we're, we're moving along. So I, I find it really helpful. Um, I, I think, you know, Eric raises an interesting point, which is, are we moving to this free fair thing because we kind of do this kind of stuff? I, I've always maintained that that one has to be mindful of the equity stuff, but but free fairs can be problematic. One, because people always want service, right? We ultimately, we have to sort of pay for that. And I, I always do think, you know, there is some, some value that people understand that some value of level for the service. As the staff moves forward to this, though, getting back to Eric's point, I think at some point there has to be a discussion of, look, we've sort of teased this as much as we can, sort of piecemeal, and this is really where we, we should stop. Like, we, we can only gain so much revenue from this many people, or here's how far we can take the equity play, and then are we just moving into better awareness, right, um, about how we can get sort of target more of the, the free stuff for assisting people to use our public transit. So as you sort of move forward into that, I think that would be sort of helpful in, in terms of guidance. Uh, I know you've done a lot of outreach with community groups to reach out to people, and I, I commend you for that, and I would um, encourage you to continue along that path. But thanks again. It was a really good report, and I think it's, like I said, it's the kind of report that as the board continues to move forward in two years, we can say, well, here's a milestone, here's a guidepost, here's the work we've done and how we can uh, evaluate it. All right, um, so now why don't we see if there's any members of the public that would like to comment? We have one listener with their hand up, uh, representative from Aging Action. And I'm gonna, excuse me, Aging Action Initiative. I'm gonna ask them to unmute. Okay, I think I'm good to go. Thank you. I'm Linda Jackson from Aging Action Initiative and actually San Rafael City Schools uh, trustee and Board of Education. On the first one on the students and families, I looked at 390 were activated out of 867. 390 um, folks. And we have in San Rafael Schools alone, you could make that times 10. Um, for our low-income families. That's just in San Rafael. That's not Novato. That's not um, West Marin. It's not Southern Marin. So I, um, I 
would encourage you to keep looking at how to increase that number. There's no mention of public charge impact um, on that, you know, perception of the public in receiving something free from the government, and um, whether that was an impact, and I would imagine that Canal Alliance or Multicultural Center of Marin or Legal Aid would be able to help answer that question. But I'd encourage you to have a target to really reach. And I know our school district in San Rafael, there was communications between our public information officer um, and Marin Transit staff and publicizing it. But in, you know, focus groups are good in trying to figure out why things didn't uh, really take off the way that it would. Um, I, I think there's a real, uh, second point is real value in um, this free summer pass for students, not necessarily for those who already have the free pass, but to expose middle school and young uh, freshmen and sophomore students to riding transit. And, uh, and this might be, uh, I'd encourage to consider thinking about it more as a promotion of public transit than of, um, you know, really increasing ridership, but you want to build young transit riders who, when they go to New York City, are not going to be afraid to get on a bus. And then the third one is just when you do talk about the older adults and fares to present this information at the Marin Mobility Council um, consortium and at the paratransit um, group, the regular meetings, because I think the older adult free fare information is helpful. And that may have happened in December. I don't know. I had missed that meeting. But um, I think that that group and I'd be able to happy to help you, Kathleen, on, you know, working and talking about how to reach out to the CBOs and make programs that serve lower, especially lower income, older adults, the numbers are going to be increasing um, in the next few years. So um, be able to help you in any way. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you, Linda. Brian, do you have your hand up again? All right. Um, so, um, so any other director comments at this point? We are going to take. We do have to take an action. I get that. I did want to say a couple things. I um. I I think it's really important, and this sort of piggybacks on Linda's comments and a couple of the other comments that have been made. There is, I do believe, there's more um, more room, um, more capacity, more more folks in our transit dependent community that are fam that are families with multiple students um, that maybe aren't getting take getting that student youth pass. And um, I am also curious about that public charge barrier and, and perception. I'm not sure how we're how we're addressing that. That's why I think it's really important that that uh, the partnering uh, and the work with the CBOs and uh, HSAs is really going to be important, not just towards promoting, but towards exploring what are potential barriers in terms um, that are keeping folks from taking advantage of our youth passes that exist today and, and or anything else. And I just keep on thinking about given the bulk of our riders, um, and if I do the math, and it's what, almost 8,500 trips a day on average, which maybe translates into 4,000 individuals, if you just, I mean, in simple math, and most of them being transit dependent, and that means of very low income, um, even if a dollar each way or whatever, the fare is not a barrier, it potentially represents 40 or 50 bucks a month, which is some groceries. Anyway, I'm just 
I, I think there's more, more, more room to go on the equity side of things and um, really recognizing um, cost of living here in Marin County, but also the fact that though there is a reduction in fair revenue, how much, what, what I think an important number for us to understand is fair revenue as a percentage of our overall operating income uh, revenue. Um, and and also be marrying that up against the subsidies that for our different kinds of, of, of um, trips and transit that we provide and the subsidy level for those heavily used routes. Anyway, I just, I do think there's more room there and something to explore. Um, and um, so I think that's a really important uh, element. I think the students, fair piece is really tricky because of what can happen in terms of overcrowding. Um, but I do believe that that the summer promotion, it seems like a pretty darn easy thing to do, even if you don't hit everyone. So um, anyway, those are my comments. I think that um, I think it, I think the ex, the, the trials, the pilots, um, and then exploring and really doing a deep dive and to analyzing them is important. And um I think it, it deserves some more work. So I like the three steps that are being proposed. All right. So with that, I think I'd be looking for a motion to um, pursue the next steps as presented in the staff report. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to make that motion, but uh, could, could we also um, uh, get a little more information on kind of the overall youth, youth costs uh, at, a, at a future meeting? Maybe part of the the, the general fair, if, if there's general agreement with that. Uh, so with that, I'll, I'll make the motion for the recommendation because I don't think it prohibits us from going even further. Uh, I think it's it's the, the 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 right step based off the information we have. So I'll make that motion. I'll uh, I'll second. So motion, Lucan. Second, Colbert. All those in favor? Oh, no, we need a roll call. Go ahead, Kate. Yes, President Rice. How do you vote? Yes. Vice President Colbert. Yes. Second Vice President Lucan? Yes. Director Moulton Peters? Yes. Director Rodoni? Yes. Director Sackett? Yes. Director Bushy? Yes. Thank you. That matter carries. Okay. Thank you very much. And then just one thing to add to that. Um, I when in my commentary I was talking about our lowest income, I also slash our riders are our essential workers. And I just don't think we can forget that. So we are on to the next item, which is item nine, fixed route operations updates. Yes, and Robert Betts will be presenting this item. And in fact, Robert is gonna give you quite a, a deep dive today on how uh, scheduling our services works and uh, how we assign labor and that sort of thing. So I hope everybody's got their strongest thinking cap on here. Go, away, go ahead, Robert, take it away. Hey, thanks, Nancy. Good morning again. President Rice, uh, Board of Directors, Robert Betts, Director of Operations and Service Development. Item number nine is an update on our fixed route operation. And this is, uh, I guess, a bit, a bit of a look under the hood in terms of kind of what, what it takes to put service on the street. Uh, before I share my screen and get into the details of this item, I want to preface the discussion by saying that throughout the last three years and during the pandemic, we faced many operational challenges and have overcome many obstacles. Uh, staff 
have been diligent and proactive to make adjustments and changes as needed to support our riders during these times when operational conditions were changing rapidly. In many ways, we've been successful and are very fortunate compared to many of our peers, but some issues and challenges have continued to hamper us even today. This item is an overview of a bit and a bit of a hodgepodge discussion of operational issues that staff feel are important to brief your board and present what's being done to address these ongoing issues. Although this is an informational item, it is intended to educate and prepare your board on several upcoming actions at future board meetings, including service contractors, service contract awards, amendments, and future service change proposals and approvals. I'll admit up front that this item gets a bit technical and in the weeds, but I hope uh, it'll help you and the public better understand these operational challenges um, as we move forward. So with that, I will go ahead and share my screen and my presentation. Okay, a quick overview of the presentation. Um, I'm gonna first talk about uh, pandemic, post-pandemic conditions. We're gonna look at ridership and service, where we've been over the last three years. Um, in terms of the current and operational needs, we're gonna talk specifically about traffic and the impacts on service. We're gonna talk about our service contracts, where we are within our five major service contracts. Uh, can't miss the opportunity to talk about facility and the impacts of the facility on our operation and also talk about staffing and driver um, shortages that we're currently facing. And then I am going to touch upon some future uh, service planning efforts and, and ways that, that we're addressing some of these ongoing issues. <clears throat> so my first slide here is looking at fixed route monthly ridership. And I know we see this almost every meeting now, um, but I do want to take the opportunity to show kind of where we are relative to pre-pandemic conditions. This is on our fixed route. Uh, we're looking month over month, and this is dating all the way back to November of 2018. You can see historically pre-pandemic, we were somewhere in that 225 to 275,000 rider mark. Uh, October approached 250,000. So we're approximately 90% of where we were pre-pandemic right now uh, on the fixed route side. I do wanna show that, that that differs quite a bit when we talk about demand response. And this item isn't gonna talk a lot about demand response, but I do want the board to, to be aware that, that we are less than 50% of where we are pre-pandemic on our demand response programs, which includes paratransit, dial-a-ride, catch-a-ride, and connect. So some quick observations where we are today. Um, ridership has more or less returned and it's returned stronger than many of our peers in the Bay Area. In a lot of ways, our core markets never stopped riding. They relied on the service. They continued to use the service throughout the pandemic. Uh, schools in Marin returned much sooner than what we saw across the Bay Area, which also helped support our student ridership. We are seeing ridership levels on Mirwood Shuttle and supplemental schools well below pre-pandemic uh, levels. And I'll talk a little bit about how some of the service impacts have created those ridership drops. We've also looked in detail at when and how our riders are using the service. So time of day, day of the week. And for the most part, we really aren't seeing any major significant changes in terms of how uh, riders are, are using the services, peak hour versus midday, weekend versus weekend conditions. I wanna shift and talk about our service level trends. So this bar chart here shows monthly fixed route service in terms of revenue hours. And again, this dates all the way back to November of 2018. 
And the big takeaway here is for the most part, we've sustained a relatively consistent uh, delivery of service over the last three to four years. Um, you can see some initial drops right after the pandemic offset. This was our onset largely due to um, shelter in place and some of our driver shortages, but we very quickly rebounded. In fact, we, we reached all time uh, agency highs in terms of service delivery when we were providing some of the backup service to prevent our overcrowding issues. Um, but today we've plateaued, we're, we're more or less delivering 15 to 16,000 hours per month, uh, which is where we were uh, pre-pandemic. I do wanna show that um, our, our partner agency here in Marin County Golden Gate Transit has, they've had a different trend in terms of service delivery. And this is showing that same time frame of service levels on the regional bus service here in Marin. And as we all know, that regional bus service not only provides transportation into and out of Marin County to our uh, neighboring agent to our neighboring counties, but it also provides a lot of local service up and down the Highway 101 corridor. So the trend there has been quite a bit different. The, the bridge district on the bus service saw an initial decline of service, and they um, continue to be approximately 50% uh, where they were pre-pandemic. And I show this because this does have some direct impacts on how we plan and deliver our service here in Marin County, which I'll talk about more later. When we look program by program in terms of how our, our services have changed, um, and, and what, I've, what I've done here is I've divided our fixed route program into five major areas. Our big bus local, this is you know, most of our fixed route transit service. We've seen a 5% increase in those services in pretty much all of that growth is growth along our Highway 101 Route 71. So we've doubled service on the Route 71, largely in, in response to some of the declines that, that we've seen on the regional service in that corridor. The Mere Woods and Supplemental Service, we've actually seen decreases in service levels, and not because of financial challenges, but because of uh, staffing challenges and the challenge with providing these services um, here in Marin, which has attributed to some, some loss in ridership on those two programs. I'm gonna shift now and talk a little bit about traffic and roadway congestion um, and, and similar to ridership. Initially with, with, uh, with the start of the, the pandemic, we saw traffic congestion at all time lows. Um, all of a sudden our on-time performance went way up. We actually had conditions where operators were now holding for time at time points. Um, and uh, about six months after that, we, we actually went back and did some relatively major schedule adjustments just to make sure that our run times were matching the traffic conditions. Pretty much as soon as we started to do those runtime adjustments, traffic came back. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's been growing steadily really over the last two years. And we're now at a point where we're not only at pre-COVID levels, but in some areas and within some communities, um, it's worse than it was pre-COVID. So uh, we, we have seen a, a, a kind of a, a slight decline in on-time performance. And we're really now at the point where we need to look more holistically at those run times countywide. I do wanna spend some time talking a little bit about how traffic impacts our operations. And, and I'm gonna, Again, get into the weeds here a little bit, so, so hang with me. Um, what I'm showing here is a conceptual diagram of, of kind of how, how we design and schedule our services here in Marin County. 
And I want to start by, by focusing in at the center of this diagram, the, the red square in the middle, which we call the SRTC place. And this is meant to represent the short, or I'm sorry, the San Rafael Transit Center. San Rafael Transit Center is the hub and the core of our activity here in Marin County. Almost every single local route either starts, ends, or goes through the San Rafael Transit Center. And when we serve that stop, we typically build in five minutes of time within the route to allow passengers to get off one bus and to get on another bus and to make a transfer connection. That connection can be between local routes, it can be to the regional service, or in some cases, even the connection over to the smart train. And then what I'm showing kind of a, a, in the cross here are, are how routes come in and out of the transit center. So typically, if a bus starts or ends at the transit center, it's gonna have an outbound portion of the trip. And at the end of that outbound portion, there's gonna be some time scheduled for what we call layover. And this is time for the route to recover if it runs into on-time performance issues and some time for the driver to get, to get a break, to stretch their legs, to use the restroom, to uh, potentially get, um, uh, get some refreshments and then to come back to the transit center. So that's, that's generally kind of the structure here. And I'm gonna now kind of isolate one of those specific trips. So when in, in this example here, what I'm, what I'm showing is a 60 minute frequency route operated by a single bus. And from the transit center, and this is just an example, if an outbound trip goes out 20 minutes, and then we have 10 minutes of layover, and then it comes back on the inbound trip for 25 minutes, and then it has five minutes of pulse time at the transit center, we say that that has a 60 minute cycle time. So you can see 10, I'm sorry, 20, 10, 25, five. So it's 60 minutes for that one bus to basically make a full cycle on that route. And if we run that service once an hour, then we can allocate one bus and one driver to fulfill that trip. So I now wanna talk about what happens when we have traffic impacts. So if that 20 minutes goes to 23 minutes and that 25 minutes goes to 28 minutes, so just a small increase, 10% increase in runtime, we create a situation now where potentially we need to either change the schedule, we need to add a bus, or we impact the layover. And in this example, what we're showing here, if we keep that 10 minutes of layover and we keep the five minute pulse, we now have a 66 minute cycle time. And if we wanna keep that 60 minute frequency, and the reason we wanna keep that 60 minute frequency is because we're trying to make that timed connection to San Rafael, we now have to add a bus. So we, we can't make 0.1, uh, a tenth of a percent of a bus. So, so we actually have to go to a two bus operation, which is highly inefficient. It's more cost, it's more time. The other option is for us to reduce the layover. So if we keep that 23 and 28 minute runtime, but we take away from the layover, if we go from 10 minutes to four minutes now in order to preserve that 60 minute cycle and that 60 minute frequency, we now compromise the on-time performance of that route, and we also take away that needed layover and recovery from that drive. So the third option here is, is really what we're starting to talk about in terms of service changes. If we, if we take that, that <clears throat> added runtime and we want to preserve the layover time, the other thing we can do is we can look at changing the alignment of that route. 
So maybe it's 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 a route deviation. Maybe it's taking a piece of a route and giving it to another route. But it's taking a more holistic look at the services within maybe a similar corridor, and retiming it and re restructuring the route so we can continue to offer not only a single bus or a, a more efficient operation, but we most importantly can continue to preserve that 10 minutes of layover for the driver. Okay, I'm gonna shift now and, and, and talk a little bit about our service contracts. So a lot of what we do on the operations side is work with our contracts, uh, contractors to deliver the service. We have five major contracts. Two of those contracts were recently approved by your board. Uh, our Golden Gate Transit contract approved last October uh, is now extended through 2026 with option years. And then last February, we started our new demand response contract, um, which goes through 2025 with option years. The other three contracts are all up this fiscal year. I'm sorry, at the end of this fiscal year. So that includes our rural and seasonal contract, our local contract with Marin Airporter, and our yellow bus contract with Migrants. A big piece of the, that contracting environment is facility. Um, we have made some progress on facility over the last three to four years. We have uh, a brand new operations and maintenance facility at 3000 Kerner, which we were able to package and put out as part of our demand response contract. Um, we've also made uh, investments in, in parking up at Rush Landing. Um, and uh, at, at that same facility, in, uh, installed electric vehicle chargers. We're doing a, a fencing and lighting project in, in the coming months. So all of those have really helped, you know, a certain portion of, of, of our contractors and our services. But I do want to point out that we still lack a primary operations and maintenance facility. Uh, and we do anticipate, and we're already starting to see that this may have uh, potential challenges on our upcoming contracts. Talking about staffing uh, challenges. So Nancy, last September, gave you an update on where we were relative to our staffing challenges. At the time, we were approximately 20% short in operators, um, which what, you know we were starting to see direct impacts on, on service levels. This has been updated now for December. We've made a little bit of progress, but we're still short approximately 15%, not just on operators, but also other frontline staff including supervisors, dispatchers, mechanics, et cetera. Um, and 15% down doesn't seem like a lot, but really the existing workforce has to make up for that 15%. So now drivers are having to work longer hours, working days off, which puts additional strain um, and pressure on the workforce. And I do want to just say that while we do not directly employ our drivers for the service, we do work actively with our contractors to also identify ways that we can support and improve the working conditions for our drivers and other frontline staff. <clears throat> I'm sorry, I'll come back to that in, in just a minute. Specifically, the three areas we've targeted um, include our schedule development, so we control the schedules, we do the scheduling for our services, employee compensation and benefits, and equipment and facilities. Uh, scheduled development can impact the day-to-day -day, uh, experience for drivers and add stress to the workday if we do not provide enough runtime or layover for drivers to meet the needs of the schedules uh, and for the riders. So if the bus is consistently late, guess what? It's the driver that, that really takes the burden of that um, from the riders. 
Um, where we decide to end the route and, and turn that service around really impacts where the layovers occur, both the amenities um, and the time given to those layovers. Uh, compensation and benefits are addressed primarily at the time of contract, but we also come back and do contract amendments as needed. Um, and oftentimes we put in specifically minimums um, or increases that we expect, whether that's directly to the wages or to the benefits. And on the equipments and facility side, we do work with our contractors when we spec out the vehicles uh, and make bus purchase purchases to make sure that equipment is not only comfortable, but safe for the operators. Uh, and we also work with them when we do pro provide facilities to make sure that work uh, place environment meets the needs of, of our contracts. I should also, I'm uh, going back to the impacts of, of uh, operator shortages, we have seen an uptick in, in our missed service. Um, and, and this is what we shared uh, last September, but that trend unfortunately has continued. Again, a lot of our missed service has been focused on that supplemental and near woods program. Uh, typically, the trend, if our contractor is starting to, to um, demonstrate a lot of missed service, we'll go back to the schedules and actually reduce service just so the reliability is higher. But in a lot of these cases, even when we reduce the schedules uh, or the service levels, we do con continue to see a pretty high level of missed service. Um, I will say that as an agency, um, we do have a target of missing no more than 1% of our trips on a monthly basis. And over the last three to four years, we've only missed that target three months. But nonetheless, um, we are concerned and, and, and working closely to uh, try to minimize these missed trips. Okay, um, so in terms of what our recommendations are and solutions, um, so staff has been working <clears throat> Uh, on, on what we call a service change package. And while we often do schedule adjustments every quarter, uh, what we're looking at doing for June is, is, a, is a much bigger service change to really try and, and, and deliver more sustainable service. So the first is addressing the missed trips. We wanna resize and redistribute um, the, the service to improve service reliability. We also wanna take a holistic look at traffic conditions uh, we have some new analysis tools in-house that, that we're using to really look at how our uh, run times should be adjusted. We want to make sure those driver brakes and layovers are adequate and at the appropriate locations. We also need to start to incorporate our new electric buses, our newest scaling buses, and readjusting the schedules and times so they can work. Um, and then finally, also coordinating with uh, the new realities of our regional service and what it means um, to, to serve the Highway 101 corridor post-pandemic. <clears throat> so we'll, we'll uh, talk a lot more at your February meeting about the specifics and the details of this service change that, that we put together for uh, June. Uh, at that June, I'm sorry, for, at the February meeting, uh, we will present uh, your board uh, the formal um, service change package to set the public hearing and we'll start that formal public outreach process. Um, throughout, we'll be doing outreach to riders, we'll be receiving comments, we'll be packaging those comments and presenting them back at your March meeting for approval. In addition to having and holding the public hearing at March, we'll also be presenting um, your board with our Title VI analysis, 
and asking your board to adopt those final changes. Um, and then between that time and, and service, uh, the implementation in June, we'll shift our efforts and start to educate our riders, do outreach to riders about the service changes and, and um, how the new service will be handled. And with that, I'll be happy to answer any questions. Robert, thank you very much. Questions? And while folks are getting ready to raise their hand, uh, a quick one from me, Robert, the uh, diagram on what, when you were explaining the um, runtime, the did you come up with that? Is that is that a, a is that like an industry diagram, or did you come up with that riding the smart train down to work one day? <laughs> I th that is my diagram. Um, yeah, very cool, really um, in, informative. That was education. All right, uh, Director Colbert. Yeah, thank you. Uh, hey, Robert, thanks for the the report. So you said something that was interesting to me that congestion has increased in in uh, in some places. And could you just briefly expand on that? Is that because people don't want to ride public transit, or I'm just curious about that? Yeah, um, without getting in, into the details and the specifics, I think um, what what we've observed largely around school sites. I I think we we are seeing more congestion around school sites in the morning even today compared to pre-pandemic conditions. Um, so it, it tends to be really focused between certain hours where you know historically we get 10 minutes of runtime, more and more now that 10 minutes doesn't hold up. So um, we, we, we kind of track trends in, in, in our schedules over time. And, and like I said earlier, many of our schedules are back to pre-pandemic schedules, but in some cases now we're having to add more and more runtime. Okay, thanks. Dennis. Thank you, Robert. Uh, appreciate the report and update. In looking at your example, your hour example, um, the um, the 10 minute time and the five minute time, how does that relate to industry standards in terms of what other transit agencies use? Because it seems to me that um, if you're only looking at an hour, obviously, that's a quarter of an hour you're talking about, essentially on standby of some sort. So just wondering what the industry standards is along those lines. Yeah, I'm, I don't know if there's a formally adopted industry standard. You know, ever since um, I've been with the district and working with our contractors, we've tried to target 10 to 12% of the total cycle time as layover recovery. Now that, you know, it does become a little bit of a challenge for, for our services because we respect the pulse and because we operate that pulse system. And because that transit facility really only gives us five minutes of layover, oftentimes we have to concentrate the layover at the other end. So for example, if, if, if that half an hour one-way runtime was an hour in one direction, and you're only getting five minutes at the transit center, that's, that's not a lot of runtime. So oftentimes we have to concentrate it on the other end to make sure that that uh, reliability doesn't start to cascade as traffic conditions uh, deteriorate. I think it also largely depends on, you know, your congestion levels, you know, how, what's the variability in, in congestion? And, you know, if, if you're in the morning peak, if you're adding twice as much time as your midday, you probably need to add and build in a little bit more layover because of the variability. 
And and Robert, follow up question. Uh, thinking about the, the regional service, that's only about fifty percent of what, what it was pre-COVID. How much is that complicating our our issues with our local service? Yeah, it, well, it definitely requires ongoing coordination, and we meet with the bridge district before every sign up. We you know compare notes on service changes, and we give each other the opportunity to make sure that you know we can make adjustments and, and coordinate. I think you know right now the, the most significant impact to to the local uh, rider is is the lack of service between San Rafael and Nevada on the Highway 101 corridor. Pre-pandemic, Golden Gate was running that service every half an hour, seven days a week. Now that service doesn't exist. So it's it's really trying to figure out how we can reorient our routes, how we can retime our routes. One challenge we're having right now is the pulse. You know, we're now that that those regional routes don't serve the the northern bus pads. Should we be prioritizing connections to other routes at San Rafael? Um, so it's it's a challenge, but but fortunately we have a good partnership with the bridge district, and and we're communicating uh, with every service change. Thank you, Stephanie. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I'm glad, Robert, you brought up the pulse. I wasn't going to go there, but that's a really interesting observation that if uh, the time isn't being used by Golden Gate, it may open up time. We, we, we need to find flexibility in time. Clearly, that's the issue. Um, I want to thank you for such a comprehensive report. My, my head is almost boggled trying to figure all the, all the uh, interdependencies that you noted and that come into play with providing on-time service. And uh, I was just gonna observe one thing and then ask one question. The observation is that everything you explained to us uh, can land uh, as criteria in our transportation plan, which transportation authority will be doing this year. In other words, the impacts of congestion on transit service uh, uh, is one of the things we need to be thinking about. Um, as we do our transportation plan. I did wanna go back for a moment on the, on the bus yard for the electric buses and just ask um, Nancy, if we still have the subcommittee that's looking at sites that if their work will continue, they were working last year and if that will continue this year. Yes, absolutely. In fact, probably within the next few weeks we'll be um, reconvening that, that ad hoc committee on facility siting. Yeah. I, I just see it as so critical. We have not been able to identify a permanent bus yard yet. And when you add in uh, battery lifetime on top of every all the other factors we're considering for on-time performance, it's really crucial that we nail down a facility somewhere in the county. So thank you. All right, any other questions or comments from directors? Okay, can we go to the public then, Holly? Yes, I'll give our listeners another moment here to raise their hand. They wish to comment on item nine. No hands up this time. And President Rice, then we did have a public comment come in uh, in writing and maybe Robert, if you'd like to address that. Sure, um, there, there were quite a few um, comments specific to the June proposed service change. And I think most of those, I, I would encourage you to look at those because those, those are very relevant in terms of 
um, questioning if they'll be included in, in the June service change. I do think the, the February meeting is probably the more appropriate time to answer those because that's really where we're going to outline route by route what the proposed changes are. Um, and it's a little, little premature right now to be commenting um, on specific changes, but but they are very, very well. So Robert, a question regarding that. Um, the service changes, do they anticipate also, I mean, if we're having to reno uh, renegotiate contracts or go out to bid from some of our service, doesn't that potentially change our uh, capacity, our ability, you know, our ability to provide capacity depending on cost? Yeah, so so these efforts are are moving in parallel, um, and uh, I, I can't say a, a whole lot about service contracts right now. We do have an open procurement right now, so um, I can't say too much about them. But yes, the service change proposal you'll see for June most definitely takes into consideration some of the uh, potential challenges we may have with the service contracts July 1st. Okay, and then um, uh, similarly, understanding the changing congestion and travel patterns uh, locally, regionally, which there's obviously a nexus here with what TAM does and, and that analysis is gonna be important towards, I mean, it's not a crystal ball, but um, it does seem like there are some different patterns, and and I and maybe maybe they are too subtle to to really impact um, your service change proposals. But I'm just curious as to how how we work that in and uh, understanding a better understanding of traffic. It's not all school related. A lot of it just maybe there's more local traffic as more people are at home, or God knows. Um, but I'm just just curious as to how do we feed that analysis in, it probably won't be actually in a timely fashion necessarily for these service changes, but maybe for a next round. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're, we're really looking forward to the upcoming countywide transportation planning effort and being involved in that and talking through transit's role within the roadway network. We also have funding to look at what we're calling a congested corridor study. So targeting some, some key corridors within the county that we have a high level of service on and a high level of congestion on to see if there are some near-term improvements we can make uh, to improve run times in those corridors. TAM, and we're also you know, working with TAM to implement and, and to advance the part-time transit lane. And I think if you look countywide, Highway 101 is perhaps our, 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 uh, our biggest challenge in terms of congestion. Um, and, and we are excited about opportunities that that project provides on, on with the services. So, um, yes, I think there's a number of efforts that are ongoing or upcoming that, that are really focused and targeted at, at transit runtimes. Right. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so if there are no further comments, we don't need to take an action today, correct, Robert? Correct. Okay, so um, thank you very much. Much appreciated and looking forward to next month. And now we'll move on to the item 10, our last item, which is the Regional Transit Network Management Update. Yes, I'll take that one on and I'm gonna share my screen here. Just give me a second. And this is um, item 10 in your packet. And I'm gonna provide a brief update on the Regional Transit Network Management. 
I'll give some background on where we've been and then highlight some of the uh, structural changes or framework that the Metropolitan Transportation Commission is proposing for moving forward. And there is quite a bit more detail provided in your packet on that structure. Forward here. So uh, no surprise to you, but we, Marin Transit and all the transit agencies have been collaborating and coordinating on our services and common issues for many years. And, and in fact, many years prior to, to COVID. And with the onset of the pandemic in 2020, that collaboration was intensified and formalized under the Metropolitan Transportation Commission's Blue Ribbon Transit Recovery Task Force. And that, that task force was put into place to set a course for public transit's recovery and long-term improvement. And I reported to you several times about that. Our staff was very engaged in a number of committees and continues to be uh, engaged in that, in that work or the results of it. But the task force's work actually culminated in the Bay Area Transit Transformation Action Plan, and that focused on transforming the Bay Area's transit network into a more connected, more efficient, and more user-focused mobility network that attracts many more users. And the plan includes 27 actions that were grouped into a series of outcomes, and the outcome topics are shown in the blue box here on the, on the right, and they include fare payment, which <clears throat> we've brought to your board previously as the fare coordination and integration study, uh, customer information, where the near-term emphasis is on mapping and wayfinding, setting a, a common uh, mapping and wayfinding structure for regional transit operations, then the transit network itself, uh, accessibility and funding. And throughout the work of the Blue Ribbon Task Force, the question of regional transit governance and network management was discussed. And you can see at the top of that, um, we've kind of highlighted that a, a key recommendation of the task force was to complete a business case analysis of potential network management reforms with the intent of addressing uh, the need for Bay Area transit services to be equitably planned and integrally managed as a unified, efficient, and reliable network. The project was guided by a network management business case advisory group, uh, which convened in, in 2022 and then just recently completed their, their work this last month. The proposed structure uh, is to be housed within MTC. And that was one of the big questions that was raised initially, should there be a separate independent regional body to oversee this network management or should it be housed within MTC? And this recommendation says, that it's to be housed within MTC. The plan is to stand up this structure over the next six to nine months with the expectation that it'll be in place for two to three years, be evaluated about two years, and then after that, a long-term structure will be uh, established. So just to highlight some of the key elements of the structure, uh, looking toward the center there, RNM, by the way, stands for Regional Network Management. And so RNM, the RNM Council <clears throat> is comprised of nine transit operator general managers and the MTC executive director. And the council reports up through a new MTC committee, which is called the, MTC, the RNM Committee. And it's comprised of eight commissioners and three ex officio members. And those ex officio members are two transit agency representatives who currently don't have direct representation on MTC, 
and a state um, ex officio member. Uh, the voice of the customer advisory committee, which you can see up there to the left in one of the blue boxes, is um, uh, has eight MTC policy advisory committee members and nine stakeholder representatives representing a variety of different uh, interest groups. And um, so for 17 member uh, voice of uh, the customer committee. The new structure also includes dedicated staff that add MTC, so reporting directly up to MTC, and then potential for seconded staff from transit agencies bringing also that transit operations expertise in, into the mix. The transit agency boards are shown to the left here in the gray boxes to demonstrate the role that they will play in approving implementing plans that are proposed by the regional network management structure uh, for the individual operators. And then MTC, as kind of the next things, MTC will be asking all transit agencies to sign on to a memorandum of understanding to establish the regional net network management structure, that framework, over the next few months. And that will be one of the first actions that your board will take. <clears throat> uh, I would say that the transit agency general managers have been generally supportive of this framework. And in fact, this framework resembles the Clipper executive board model, which was recommended by, by the general managers. So very quickly moving on, just a few, just wanted to highlight a few of the key issues that are important to Marin Transit. First, there is the question of the relative authority of the regional network manager versus the transit agency boards. And one of the most important policy roles that a transit agency board plays, as you know, and, and you exercise is setting fair policy, which we just talked about earlier today, and service policy, which we also talked about. And so the question is, how does that authority um, mesh with the authority of the RNM? Uh, secondly, the new MTC staffing under this proposal is estimated to cost $1.3 to $2.1 million per year. And we understand that MTC is proposing to take $3 million per year uh, off the top, if you will, of our TDA and STA allocations. So that would be across the region. And that would be to fund the staff. And smaller operators who depend uh, significantly on, on those sources, those two sources of funds for operating their services are, um, are definitely, I think, going to be interested in how that, that gets resolved. A separate issue concerns the fact that many transit operators are facing a fiscal cliff over the next couple of years. Uh, the regional network manager management function will continue to take a, a, a significant level of transit agency staff effort and potentially even more funding. And so it'll be challenging to balance the near-term priorities for maintaining our transit services within the Bay Area and regaining riders. Um, at the same time, while we're also trying to pursue this longer term goal of better integrating and unifying transit operations across the region. So then looking to kind of what, what our next steps are. So December 12th, uh, the Business Case Advisory Group selected the preferred network uh, framework that, that I just showed you and some next steps that are included in the packet that's in, in uh, the item that's in your packet. The next uh, big item I would say is a, an MTC led webinar 
where up to two board members from each transit agency will participate. Um, this is all by Zoom. And um, that's on January 12th, uh, so this, this Thursday. And board members uh, from Marine Transit will be represented by uh, Director Moulton Peters and Director Colbert. The next day, so Friday, uh, MTC's executive committee will review the uh, framework that again is similar to what was just presented in your packet. Uh, the full commission will review it later in the month. And then in February, uh, MTC's full commission will actually act on the final uh, regional network manager report. And then they have laid out in, in the, uh, the, the packet, the framework and implementation plan that suggests a, a March 1 start date. I think that maybe being, the staff may be recommending that that get pushed out. The MTC staff may recommend that be uh, started later, slightly later, but the plan still does show the basic items that are needed to stand up this new uh, uh, RNM framework. And that includes budget and funding, the MOUs that I mentioned between all the operators and MTC, establishing the committees, and then hiring hiring the staff. So that's just a preview of what, what's going on regionally there with uh, the regional network manager. I'll be happy to answer any, any questions you might have. And this is just an information item. All right, Nancy. Yeah, I wonder who Oz is behind the curtain on all this. Okay, um, let's see, anybody um, Anybody like to comment or ask Nancy a question regarding all this? And my thanks to um, Director Moulton-Peters and Colbert for attending that meeting on Thursday. Um, Stephanie, go ahead. You know, I, I do have questions and I realize we're coming up on the noon hour and since I am attending with Brian, I could save these till later, but maybe what I'll just say quickly for the benefit of the full board, Nancy, could, could you characterize, my, my understanding of the network manager and this whole effort was to provide greater linkages so, so that Bay Area travel and transit would work better. But my, and my sense was that the, it was the major, the larger um, transit providers that were the most, uh, the most targeted for, for change and that the smaller, there, there's are where we need these connections to happen better. Is, is that a fair characterization? Well, I would say yes, absolutely. That the the vast majority of transferring riders, or you know, where where people are making those connections, tend to be on the the larger systems. And so, there are small operators who are very much tied to those, particularly BART. So, if we look at the Contra Costa operators, for example, um, being tied to BART is, is probably one of the best examples. So, they they are impacted. But yes, the focus is on you know does have probably some ways a greater impact on the larger operators. But for us, for Marine Transit, that really is just with, with our regional carriers here with Golden Gate and with, um, with the smart train. Yeah, so. and, and then can I ask whether there's a guiding principle for this whole effort that says, don't change what's working, like our, our stuff is working, so don't change it. And then also more seriously, special consideration for small operators with regard to the TDA funds. 
because we are playing with a thinner margin and a smaller budget overall, I would hope that some consideration, not everyone is being asked to contribute the same percentage of their TDA funds to this uh, management effort. Can yes. you shed any light on that? Um, you know, that's a great question. I just learned that this on Friday about how this was being proposed by MTC to come from these two sources. So I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion among the uh, transit operators over the next couple of days. But certainly that would be a great type of question to ask in the webinar on the 12th. Uh, Eric. I was just going to quickly share with my colleagues that I'll be attending the webinar uh, on the 12th as well on behalf of SMART. So um, maybe maybe one more voice from Marin Transit too. All right. If I could, I'm sorry, um, President Rice, just that will be a public meeting. It is publicly noticed on MTC's website. So if anybody can attend, um, just the participants are limited to two agency, transit agency board members. Okay, good. All right, uh, so Holly, could we see if there are members of the public that would like to speak? Yes, I'm gonna ask uh, Linda from Aging Action Initiative to unmute. I'm sorry. Yep, good morning, everybody, one more time. I'm just so thrilled to hear this. For those who've been around for a while, you know this was a, a pipe dream back in the day. And so Nancy, you, you presented on this in the fall. And it's great to hear where it's at right now. I'd really encourage you to share this through your newsletter at the TAM board meetings, at the city councils, because this has a profound could benefit, profound potential for benefit or challenges as you've already, um, you know, eyes wide open going in as a small agency um, and participating in this regional effort. But I'm, I'm thrilled to pieces to hear it and hope that this can be shared, we're um, in voice, can be shared with, through the community outreach uh, initiatives that you outlined last fall. So thanks so much. Congratulations. Keep working it. Call, is that it? Yes, there are no other speakers at this time. All right. All right. Okay, bring it back here. Nancy, any closing comments before we adjourn? Yes, thank you very much for hanging in there with us on this uh, long meeting. All right. Well, thank you and uh, thanks staff and all the directors and we will see you next month, if not before, in some other, some other capacity. We're adjourned. <laughs>